Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you this Memorial Day. Move this back so we don't get feedback. As Dad mentioned, this is, uh, as your friend, a reminder, the Memorial Day weekend is for those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, not for those that are serving currently. That's what Veterans Day is for. So today we remember the sacrifice that was made by those who have given their lives uh, this Memorial Day. And since the founding of our great nation, in 1775, there have been, according to the Department of Defense, over 1.3 million service members who have given their life in war. Most of them coming from the Civil War, uh, of course, over 600,000, and World War II, over 400,000. And that's quite a bit. To put that in perspective, if you took our entire active duty military right now, if you wipe them out, that is how many people that have given their lives to date. We have about 1.3 million active duty service members serving across the world. Uh, that doesn't include the entire force. It doesn't include the Guard and Reserve. Don't worry, there's more than only 1.3 million. We have about two and a half uh, is a full service. But that is a very small fraction when you think of our population, when you think of everything the armed forces do and protecting not just our nation, but the world, and trade, and all kinds of different things. But it is very small. But today we remember those that have given the ultimate sacrifice. There's no other country in the world and throughout history that is more dedicated and more reverent to those that have given their life. I don't know if you've been to a national cemetery, or maybe you've been to Arlington. It is a beautiful sight. It is amazing to see the great reverence and care and honor that we give to those who have given their lives. And we learned this from our parents in the, in the British Empire. I had the great privilege, our first duty assignment, me and Rachel, we were in England. And I got to see firsthand there how they respect. We definitely learned it from there. I was part of the honor guard there in uh, England, not the color guard, as uh, sometimes people get that confused. It's the honor guard, it's military. Uh, sometimes we perform the colors, but we are the honor guard, not the color guard. And I, I had so much fun. It was, it was great. I mean, I, was, I think we did a wedding in a castle one time. We did a saber team in a castle. I felt like I was in Cinderella. <laughs> um, and we just did, I mean, parades. They, they, they love their, their parades and their, their ceremonies. It's, it's really neat. So I did many, many ceremonies. But one particular, I think it was on a Memorial Day weekend, and uh, E.B. and... Tiana, I think it was Deanna and Rebecca were visiting us in England. And we were at this place called Brookwood American Cemetery and Memorial. And so here's just a couple pictures from that. So it's the only American cemetery of World War I in the British Isles. It's a beautiful, beautiful place with these white uh, crosses. Uh, I think if you've seen Saving Private Ryan or some of the old World War II type movies, you see these beautiful crosses. And man, it was so... Amazing it. And we did a joint 
honor guard with the army. And so we were there with the army. They were doing the colors, and I got to be the bugler. Now, the Air Force doesn't have the money to send an actual bugler to every single base in the world. So our bugles had this microphone, this box in it, that you would just push a button, and it could play whatever you wanted it to play. <laughs> <coughs> and so, but I, but, you know, Mr. McLaughlin, he, uh, is he here? I think he's, he's probably getting, getting his uh, trumpet ready. He, when in high school, he, he taught me how to play the trumpet. And so I knew how to play the trumpet, and I played a little bit in high school. So I was like, I'm not using a voice box. There's no way. I'm not, I mean, i got to play this thing for real. And so, you know, for weeks, I was practicing, and, and it's a bugle. So unlike a trumpet where you have keys, you could change the note. But a bugle, you have to, it's all octaves. And so you really have to have your embouchure working this this uh, muscle right there. And so as I was, pr- I mean, weeks and weeks of practice and, and doing all these things, and I was ready. I was, I mean, was going to knock their socks off, and they were going to hear an actual live bugle. Well, of course, it was cold. It was England. And as we were warming up and practicing, the Army was like, we've been here for three years straight, and not a single bugler has ever been able to play taps. I was like, well, you've never heard an Air Force bugler. <laughs> it's going to happen today. And uh, here's a picture of me uh, looking sharp uh, playing that. So it came time, and, and normally you play taps, right? When you think of da-da-da-da-da-da, that, that taps that w- when somebody dies, right? You play that at the end of the service. So I'm like, I know about 10 minutes before the, the end, i got to warm up my lips because it's really cold. My lips are cold, the, the bugle's cold, and that's not a good. Any, anybody that plays wind instruments, cold is not a good factor. And so as I was getting ready to play, and, and I'm thinking like towards the end, all of a sudden in the middle of this thing, the lieutenant who's running, uh, running this thing looks at me and is like, it's time to go. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not, it's not even time. <laughs> and I tried. I was like, oh, my gosh. I have to warm up. i got to play this. I'm not ready. And, man, try as I might, I could not play a single note. I mean, it sounded like farting noises for, <laughs> for tasks. I was so embarrassed, and I finally just, after about halfway through trying to get through the song, I just saluted smartly and, and, and carried on. And I think after that thing, I ran and changed as fast as I could <laughs> so they could not remember. But, I mean, all the army people were like, we told you. I'm like, sorry. I, I tried <laughs> as I might. And, and I just remember thinking, oh, man, I just, you know, I hope I didn't ruin this sacred ground. I, I mean, I was so, so, you know, loving every part of it. And, of course, we had our family visiting and Lord, I just messed that thing up. But I, that, I remember that experience, uh, even despite doing that, is remembering how just, just the place and, and the ceremony and those types of things, it elevated, right? I wanted to do better. I wanted to make a sacrifice. Looking at the examples that I had before me, looking at the history and the heritage, it, it lifted me up to do better. So my question this morning to you is, what elevates you to do better? What makes you reach higher? What makes you reach for that goal? On this Memorial Day, I want you to put your thoughts of barbecue down for just a moment. And think, when was the last time that I actively sought to get better? When was the last time you examined your own life and said, God, what do I need to do to improve? So what have you noticed lately in your life? What kind of habits can't even say habits. Habits have you picked up recently? Over the past year, 
Have they gotten better or worse? Do you complain more? Do you argue more? Do you lose your temper more? Or maybe you've just given up on these certain areas that you've struggled in and you just thought, that's how I am. I'm not going to change. Many of you are, uh, we'll call it seasoned in this class, and I'm sure you've heard something like this before. The people that you're around are going to elevate you or bring you down. The people that you surround yourself with are going to bring you up or bring you down. Remember when you're telling your kids, like, hey, you know, pick good friends. Pick good people to be around. You might even help them as you steer them to pick good people to, to be around. Maybe you don't have anybody really good to be around. Maybe you're thinking, I've, I've, I've tried. I, you know, there's no one here at the home church. Well, you must just have your eyes closed. Or maybe you don't make it a priority. Well, the great thing that we can have this morning is you could have someone to elevate you, someone to elevate us. And not only as we look at someone to elevate us, but are you elevating others? Our passage today addresses the very issue. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, encourages the church at Philippi to elevate their walk. Elevate their walk. As we come uh, to the third chapter in Philippians, that's where we're going to be spending uh, most of our time. I'll pass this off over. Um, and as I take a drink of water and I suck on my cough drop, I, do, I don't have COVID. It's monkeypox. Um, <laughs> and most of you have it as well already, so I won't feel bad by passing it to you. But most of you are in the back. So, But as we, as we come to, to Philippians, Paul was writing then on house arrest. He's on house arrest uh, in prison in Rome. He's writing about 60 to 61 A.D., and this is only a few years before his death in 65 AD. He's writing to the, the letter to the church that he had planted in Philippi, and he wanted to encourage them. The circumstances and the people, uh, he, he was saying, can rob us of joy. And it is like a thief. And, and Paul deals with this in chapter 3, this idea of ro- people robbing us of joy and robbing us of, of these things. And, and that's what we're going to look at in, in chapter 3, what how these people uh, can derail him and bring you down. Uh, And here we go. We're going to begin in um, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. So write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Rejoice. Paul says rejoice. He often says this to the Christians in in Philippi. He says this throughout Philippians. You see this word rejoice. Rejoice. If Paul can rejoice in prison, we can rejoice. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of concision. These are people that had false doctrine. These were people that had, these were Judaizers that had, that had said you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. And all these, beware of these evil workers. In verse 3, for we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He begins this, this dialogue, this explanation of you want to put your confidence in the flesh, you want to put your salvation in everything that you can do, um, it doesn't work. And by, by the way, if anybody can put confidence in the flesh, it's me. 
And here's what he begins to say. He said, if you want to put your confidence in the flesh, just, just look at my pedigree. He says, verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. So he begins, look, I have all the pedigree. I have all the righteousness of, put, of the flesh that you can get. I'm the best as there is. I, I was circumcised the eighth day. I am a, um, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, a Hebrew. I'm a Pharisee. I did all these things. All these things. I was blameless. But he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all these things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, I count all those things lost. Those things don't even matter compared to how excellent it is to know Christ. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. It, all, it, it is all a pile of dung. Then I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. I love this verse. That I may know him in the power of, the, of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Now, how many of you would say here this morning that you want to know Christ more? With your hand, lifted hand. You want to know Christ more. But how many of you want to have fellowship in his suffering? Do you see that word fellowship? We love that word as Christians. We use that word all the time. We're going in and out burger. We're going to have fellowship. You know, we're, going, you know, we're doing this. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to have food. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to get together and have fellowship. Fellowship is to have in common something in common. And Paul says, I know Christ more through fellowshipping in his suffering. So how many of you would volunteer to suffer? Like, I, I, you know, there's, there's certain things that I don't pray for, right? I don't want to put myself in a position where I'm like, I kind of want to volunteer, but it's like the Air Force. I'm not going to volunteer to go to those bad places. Like, if God wants to send me there, he'll send me there. But I don't want to be a Jonah either. So it's, it's a balance. But fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And again, here he goes. Again, just this, this introduction is what he's trying to, he, getting to the point of what he's making. It is great to know him. Everything Paul cares about is to know Christ more, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, and here's the point. Verse 12, not as though as I had already attained either, were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. This was 30 years after the road to Damascus. Paul was still pursuing Christ's likeness. He never stopped. He kept going. He kept pursuing his likeness that he would be apprehended by it, that he would be taken by it. Verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. 
Paul was not going to let his past success or failure drive his day-to-day walk. So often we let our failures prevent us from doing something today. We, the, the enemy uses our past, our failures, our, all of our things to, to keep us from doing things. Uh, the, the other side is, oh, I did so many great things for God yesterday. Look at what I did for God last week. I'm, I'm just such a great Christian. Why don't you take a break? If we pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> You're such a great Christian. You look at yourself in the mirror. You're so beautiful. You're such a great Christian. Paul says, it does not matter. It does not matter. You press forward, reaching forth toward something. And here's that, uh, that key verse, verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That word press is the same used word used for wine press. If you go to the next slide, you'll see the, what a wine press looks like. So this is ancient day wine making. Okay, they would have these servants or slaves would be holding onto the ropes and they would be smashing grapes all day long. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. The word that Paul uses is press. This is something that is never ending and it is hard work. It's in the sun. It's not fun. It's, it's not prestigious. It's not something that you, you sign up. But he uses this were I press with everything into me. I want to get everything out of this and I'm going to work hard toward the mark or toward the goal. So it doesn't matter what, what's behind me. I'm reaching forward. It doesn't matter my pedigree. It doesn't matter what, what I've done. I'm pressing so hard toward the mark. Even though I've been doing this for 30 years and started the end of my life, I am still pressing toward the mark, toward the goal. But what is the goal? We hear this, we hear, oh, we're going to press toward, we're going to advance God's kingdom. We're going to, you know, we're going to advance the gospel. We, we, we use these great, awesome words, but what do they actually mean? What is the goal? And when we look at goals, and, and I'll, I'll take you on a journey in the Air Force for a, a little bit. So the way we establish goals in, for the chapel, for instance, we don't just sit around and like, oh, what's, you know, what's our goal for our our chapel ministry. Now we have a goal for our, our parish, the you know our Protestant service, right? When we uh, when we think of that, but when we think of the whole the chapel as a whole, like what is what is our goal? You, we have to first look at okay, what is our boss's goal? What is the f- the fighter wing's goal? Right? And at Masawa, it was to to deter China and Russia through enemy the suppression of enemy air defense. Uh, the wild weasels, and I mentioned that back in October. Well, what's, and Masawa looks at their goal from the Pacific. They look at that four-star. What is your priorities? What is your goal? So they look at that four-star and, and PACAF, okay, to keep the Indo-PACOM at peace, keep trade going, work with our allies. Okay, well, that four-star looks at what is the Air Force's goal? What is the Department of Defense's goal. And so everybody's goal is broken down into their area, but it comes from on high as it's broken down. All the way from the President, Department of Defense, and it works down until actually we get our goal at the chapel. It, it is all part of it. It's all part of the process. Well, in order for us to understand the goal, 
we don't just look at, okay, what is my goal, but what is God's goal? Um, and this is a, just a list that I grabbed, and I don't want you to write it down if you're taking notes yet. Um, if you're not, just put your pens down. I want you guys to think through this. And if you want this list, I can get it to you later. It's not extensive and not perfect, but it is a pretty good idea. It comes from um, Martin Manser in the Dictionary of Bible Themes. It, it starts, we're going to start with God's goals, and it is these three things. To live with his people, to build his church in Christ, to perfect his church in Christ. Jesus Christ's goals, to do his Father's will, to preach the gospel, to save the lost. The believer's goals, here's where we fit in, to please God, to know God, to be faithful to Jesus Christ, to love one another, to live at peace, to spread the gospel, to grow in maturity. Of course, our list is longer. <clears throat> and it's like, oh my gosh, it's so extensive. And like, what, how am I going to do all those things? Well, you start with one, but you have a point in which to aim for. And it's extensive, and we have long lives on this earth, and so we have time to develop each of these. But what is that goal that we are aiming for? Because if you're not aiming at something, you're going to miss it every time. So he says, let's press, I press towards, I press, I'm moving towards this goal which comes from God down through Jesus and it is, this is my goal. Verse 15, let us therefore as many of us be perfect, be thus minded and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so ye have us for an example. He said, look, let's all walk by the same rule. Let's do the same thing. Let's come together in unity and do this. Be followers together of me. Um, some, uh, that, that word could be followers together. That word could also be imitate. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, as some translations put it. Followers together of me as I follow Christ. And he, he concludes this in verse 18. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He's back into the beware. Look, there's people that, that don't um, follow after God, that don't have these goals, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Paul is this great example to follow. And he, he, he says, look, look, follow me. I'm pressing towards the mark. I'm not worried about what's behind. I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm pressing forward. I'm pressing on. And there are those who have different goals. There are those that focus on different things. There are those who, who focus on different things and their way is to destruction. They worry about things of the world. But just follow, just look, guys, just follow me. It's simple. It's simple. I'm not perfect. He even stated that. But he, but he called others to follow him as he followed Jesus Christ. That was Paul's thing. Just, I'm gonna make it simple for you. Follow me. I'm going to follow Jesus. It's not, it's not complicated. Just do it. 
Robert Leitner wrote in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, he says, vigorously and with concentration, Paul sought to win the prize to which God had called him heavenward. Again, the Greek games must have been on his mind as he wrote of the prize. The winner in those games was called to the place where the judge sat in order to receive his prize. And so Paul's thinking like when he's pressing towards the mark and in and, and other letters that he wrote, he talks about winning the race. He talks about finishing so that he can stand in front of the judge and receive his prize. And so that was his, he, that was his concentration to win. He pressed, he, he, he went forward. And in this process, as, as he began, he rejoiced. And Warren Wiersbe wrote, in spite of his difficult cir- circumstances as a prisoner in Rome, Paul's rejoicing. The secret of his joy is, it, is the single mind. He lives for Christ and the gospel. And so he's rejoicing. Guys, rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't matter your circumstances. We're pressing toward the mark. We're moving We're going to suffer. The more we suffer, the more we know Christ. And again, this this idea, this he he is this great example. He's not perfect, but he's someone that could be followed. As I've been asking you these questions this morning, here's the this one I really want us. Let me ask you, and if you zoned out, I want you to zone back in just for a moment. Would you ask others to follow you? As Paul asked others to follow him. That's what discipleship is. That's what the Christian life is. It's about, I'm following Jesus, and you are bringing somebody with you. you you're asking others to follow you. If you were to look at your own life and say, ooh, I don't, want other, I don't know if I want others to follow me. then there's a disconnect. Does your life imitate Jesus Christ or does it imitate something else? We were made to imitate. We were made to reflect. We don't come up with our own ideas. Just when you think someone else has a new idea, it's not new. I mean, look at Hollywood. They can't come up with a new idea. They just make another trilogy. They just say, I mean, they, they can't come up with a new idea. We can't come up with a new idea. We reflect, we imitate. So you're either imitating Christ or you're imitating something else. You're either elevating others to Christ or you're elevating others to something else. We all follow something. We were made to do that. But this morning, maybe it's time that you elevate your walk and begin living in a way that people can imitate. But there's hope this morning. Paul mentions Many things in this passage, but I want to really focus on three things. Three steps, because every Baptist has to have three steps. Three steps to take in elevating your walk. And now if you did, if you did grab the notes when you came in, you can, you can fill this in. And, and you can't uh, look at the beginning of the passage without looking at that very first thing. Rejoice in the Lord, that first one. How can we begin to elevate our walks? First, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. If Paul can rejoice for what he is going through, anybody can rejoice. If you look at in Acts, like all the things that Paul went through, like being shipwrecked, being beaten, being uh, thrown in prison, being thrown out. I mean, I mean, you just, every 
Yeah, stone. I mean, everything you could think of, Paul went through. Every pain you could endure, Paul went through. And he was still rejoicing. And he still wasn't giving up. He said, even 30, as he wrote this, 30 years after the road to Damascus, do you think, okay, I've done my work and now it's time to retire? No, he's still pressing. He's still in that wine press, pressing toward the goal. But he said, I can rejoice through all this because through all this, I've, become to, I've come to know Christ more and I'm following him and I'm imitating him and others are following and others are seeing and others are, are, are getting to see what living for Jesus looks like. He'd been through a lot, but he says rejoice. You are so, we are so blessed and we can always rejoice in the Lord. The second thing is surround yourself with believers in church. You can add that, and I have that in parentheses, but you can add that in your notes. I didn't have that in the notes because I wanted you guys to, in church. So many people think you can, you can surround yourself with believers in a Bible study and never go to church. That's another sermon in itself, but surround yourself with believers. You want to be around people who can elevate your walk. Those you can look to. And these aren't perfect people, we know that. But they're these people that you can follow after. Maybe you need to find a mentor. And a mentor is somebody that you need to meet with. Maybe it's once a week or twice a month. Find somebody that you that is that is further ahead than you are, that is following after Christ that you can learn from. Young people, this is for you especially. If you don't, can't find a mentor, come see Pastor Luke. He'll find you one. This is why I'd love to be a traveling evangelist. You just come up with all these great visions and ideas and I'm like, all right, just go see the pastor. See you later. <laughs> find a mentor. Uh, get connected. And then if, if you think you're at, you're at a point, if you have some, uh, maybe you have a little less hair or a little gray hair or uh, you have a little more season in your life, find somebody to mentor. Find a mentee, somebody to bring along. Discipleship is not just about me and how, what I'm doing. It's about following someone and bringing somebody along with me. Because the gospel, the Christian life is simple. It's got to be simple because we're really dumb when you think about it. We are really dumb. We do dumb things. We're easily distracted. And so Jesus has made this template that is simple, that anybody can do it. So surround yourself with believers in church. And the third thing is press on towards the goal. Press on towards the goal. Your citizenship, as some translations say, is in heaven. You're pressing toward the goal to please God, to know God, to be faithful to Jesus Christ, to love one another, to live at peace, to spread the gospel, to grow in maturity, all these things we we got to do, but to press towards that, to pursue the things that elevate our walk. But the best part about the Christian life is that we don't do these things on our own. Right? We have community, but as we press towards a relationship with Jesus, he is there to get us to the finish line. That's the trust and obey as we, as we lean on him. It can only happen in and with Jesus. He's the one that accomplished these things for us. We, we get a helper. As, as he was leaving, he was listening to yesterday morning, as he's ascending into heaven, he's like, I gotta leave so the helper can come. The Holy Spirit is the one that's gonna 
give you the power in which to do the things that I've called you to do. Again, simple. He accomplished these things for us. He is the one that elevated himself. He elevated himself so we could be elevated to God. Think about that when, when he talks about himself, he's talking to the disciples, he said, just as the serpent was lifted up in the desert um, with Moses, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. When we couldn't elevate ourselves through our own works, through our own things, through our own goodness, God came down and elevated himself. Jesus was lifted up on the cross and with our faith in, through him, that's how we can elevate our walk is Christ, is Jesus. He makes it possible. He does everything. He makes it easy. We just have to take those steps and follow him. Hebrews 12, 12 talks about, I love this, uh, these verses. They said, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that is set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, the right hand of the throne of God. It was him, it is being surrounded, it's this community, it's in church, it's being surrounded by people, it's rejoicing in the Lord, looking at those around us till we see what Jesus is supposed to look like and what he's supposed to be doing and elevating our walk so we can elevate others. It's all in and through him. When I think about surrounding ourselves with people that elevate us, there's no better place than church. Uh, last week, God gave me a perfect picture of this very thing. Uh, was in the sanctuary last Sunday. It was a, the second song, and we were praising uh, the Lord, and I was standing next to Rachel and Naomi. And Naomi, in case you didn't know, is a COVID baby. So they don't go to class. Uh, like after all the six kids, she's the only one that doesn't like to go to class. And so she was with us. And she likes to dance and sing and, and all those good things. But, but she was dancing around, and I was sitting next to Big Bear. Now, Big Bear is the name that my kids gave to Anthony, Uncle Anthony. <laughs> and so she was standing next to Big Bear, and he was praising the Lord. And unbeknownst to him, as he was raising his hand, Naomi was looking at him as he was praising the Lord, and she raised her hand. In that picture, right? It's so easy that a toddler can do it. The picture of when we surround ourselves with other saints, it's a perfect picture. A beautiful picture of God's design. Lived out in our church, lived out with family. It's not perfect, but we're pursuing the one who is. Maybe it's time you elevate your walk to the next level. The job is never done, remember. You might be sitting here thinking, well, I, I'm just, I've, I've had my time. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in retirement. I'm just relaxing. No, it's never done. Keep pressing. Elevate your walk. Elevate those around you. And your job is not done until you meet Jesus face to face. Let's pray this morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. 
you can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.